God that he works, that he works through us, and that he works through us, and uh, it, it was actually really healthy and really um, beautiful for me to reflect on this fact that this is is talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the directions of God, the commands of God, um, his instruction. And the psalmist says, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. That's Psalm 19, verse 10. Let me ask you a question. Where do you get honey? You get it from a honeycomb, right? <laughs> Depends which store you go to. <laughs> Listen, when you get honey from the honeycomb, that's like fresh and sweet, you, you have to do it carefully. You, you, there's a risk. If you don't smoke the bees out and calm them down, there's a risk when you take that honey that you're going to get stung. And, and if you just clumsily go about, I remember when I was a little kid, my dad was playing horseshoes, and he threw one into the woods, and I went to grab the horseshoe, and I stepped on a beehive and got stung like 20, 30 times. Where do you get gold? Yeah, you got to go to the dig. you got to dig to the deep parts of the earth. To grab that gold. And so, so what is the psalmist trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that God's truth is worth digging. God's truth is worth mining. God's truth is worth taking that risk to go to that honeycomb and grab that, that sweet, fresh honey. Why? Because it's worth it. Amen? And so when we go into this series, which we'll be into for about four or five months in the book of Hebrews, we're going to do that. We're going to go deep. We're going to linger in his word. Amen. We're going to be here for a while. So I want to introduce the book. There's some, there's some uh, questions off the bat when we start a new book of the Bible. And I, I want you to be like, I went to a church um, for a really long time, a season of my life, whatever it is. And when we were at that church, we went through whole books of the Bible. We learned the scriptures. Amen? Amen? That, that, that is the job. You know what I mean? Like, we can come up here and preach all types of cute messages. You know what I mean? That, that, that are current and our thoughts and all this stuff, but we want to preach the word of God. And so what do we know about this book? We, we can talk about the theme. What is it about? Well, we're calling this series Faithful for a reason. Hebrews is about faithfulness. Because the people who are being written to are being tempted 
to fall away. They're being tempted to be unfaithful to Jesus. And when things got hard, they wanted to moonwalk away from the Lord. When was this written? You know, when you read this book, it's talking about the sacrificial system. It gets really deep into the temple, and they would bring animals. And if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, you're going to know in the weeks to come. But what we know is that the author talks a lot about the temple as if it's still there. And it would be unbelievable for him not to draw any conclusions from its destruction. So we know the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., So this book was written before 70 A.D. And we also know that that the author of Hebrews talks about you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. And so a lot of the early epistles talk like this as well, where God gave his baby church a little season to breathe and grow without the intense persecution that was going to come 30, 40 years later. And so we know we don't have like like they're murdering us, persecution. They're putting us in the Colosseum and scenes and feeding us to lions type persecution yet. So we're thinking, it's, it's got to be around 60, 60 AD. And what's the audience? Well, you know, well, the book is called what? The letter to the, to the Hebrews. <laughs> and um, what we have here is Jewish followers of the Messiah. Also known as like Messianic Christians. And what you have for the first few hundred years is those Hebrews who believed in Jesus would continue to go to the synagogue, continue to take part in the life uh, in the Jewish culture. And it's, it's a fascinating time. What about the author? We don't really know. We don't really know who the author is. The front runner has been Paul, but Barnabas, Aquila, Apollo have all been suggested. But whoever it was, they personally knew Timothy. Okay, we see that in Hebrews 13, 23. And we know that this book was written early. And the, the, the North African church father, Origen, says this. He says, men have old. He, said, he was born in, in 184 So already he's talking about, because it was like his grandparents, you know? And he's saying, men of old handed it down as Paul's letter. But who wrote it? God only knows. And something about the style. This book is not written like a typical letter. It's It's written more like a sermon. And that makes it fascinating, you know? There's not like the typical address... There's not that particular uh, formula that an ancient letter would be written in. And so, you know, my personal opinion is that maybe Paul, maybe it's a little different than the, his letters because this is one of his sermons. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like Origen said, God knows. You know, I grew up, I grew up Catholic. And I didn't love Jesus growing up. And that wasn't because, that, just, that was just me, Right? I, I didn't grow up with a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not saying you, you couldn't. But for me, I, I didn't grow up with one. I had a relationship with a church that my family was kind of a part of. 
And I know that many of you can relate to the fact that whatever church it was, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, whatever, you know the difference between growing up with a relationship with a church that you were drug out to and growing up with a relationship with God. And I didn't have a relationship with God. And when I came to faith, this was a huge question for me. So I was like, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I love Jesus. Like, I, I, I read the Gospels, and I, I want to follow him. Believe, believe he lived, believe he said what was recorded about him, believe he died, believe he rose again, believe he's coming back. But, like, how do you decide, like, what is in the Bible, you know? And for curious people, it's like, you know, like we don't even know the author of this book. Like, how do we decide... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, what's in the Bible? Um, and there are basically two, two arguments. Stay with me. I know we're, <laughs> this is not the normal all the time. We've got to do some teaching, right? There are two arguments. And there's one from kind of the 10,000-mile-up view, and there's one from the, from the ground up. And the 10,000-mile-up view, we'll look at that first. Um, let me put this on the, the screen. i got to... A portion of the Savoy Declaration. Now, what you need to know is that in 1648, a bunch of, of pastors gathered together for months and months and months. And they created a creed, which a lot of, of Christians have found extremely helpful to put together like a summary of what we believe. Now, this, this is an adaption came 10 years later. It's called the Savoy Declaration. The first one's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And um, there's the Baptist Confession. They're all basically word for word exactly the same, except for, like, those particular issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, the Presbyterian one, and, and then they copied it and made a Baptist one, except said, you know what, we don't baptize babies. <laughs> And, and the Congregationalist one, which uh, our church springs out of that, right? We added some stuff where we're like, you know what? The state shouldn't define our religion. A bishop shouldn't tell an individual church what to do. Um, we believe that each local congregation is accountable to Jesus and ought to be um, in relationship with other Christians, but independent. Um, but let me read this for you. This is in chapter 1 on the Word of God. And it's like one of the points. This is extremely helpful. So those who are, who are coming up as ministers in training, you're going to be familiar with this thing at some point. <laughs> the authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, depends not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received because it is the word of God. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy of the the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give 
all glory to God. The full discovery makes it one only the only way of man's salvation. The many other incomprehensible excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it does abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God, notwithstanding our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Let me make this Gloucester, okay? First point, okay, it's when you stand, like imagine it's your wedding night, you're with your spouse, Say you, you followed the, the, the boundaries God gave and now it's your wedding night and you behold your spouse. You don't need biographical information. You don't need a, a sociological, cultural thing written out. You don't need a, a genetic study like why you're attracted to that person, right? You see the beauty, you see your love, and that's it. And that's the first part. He's saying, look, the church, the impact it's had in the world, the, the, the consistency, the beauty of the word, all these things, they attest to themselves. There's something different about the word of God. When you read it, you recognize it. When you meet that person and you, you fall in love with that person, right? You just you recognize it. You don't need evidence. You recognize its beauty. The second part is, but then there's this objective, this outside of yourself coming to you and upon you and in you, seal this, this witness of the Holy Spirit of God. So it's not just you and your reasoning. The Holy Spirit confirms, like, this is the Word of God. I don't know if you've had that experience, like, um, you're reading, maybe you're a newer Christian, um, you're not a Christian yet. I remember reading most of the Old Testament before I became a Christian. And I just knew, I was just like, these are crazy stories. Like, I didn't assume they were real, you know what I mean, in any sense, or helpful, or you know what I mean, taught us anything. I just read a bunch of it, and I was like, this, but I knew something was different. And that's from the ground up, the Holy Spirit has to confirm it, but we see it um, from, from the other end. You know, that was 10,000 miles. The other end, it's like this. It's like there is a historic process. You can, you can study, like, how the church and how in history we got the books that we got. And I would encourage you, if this is something that, that is a, a confusing thing to you, I would encourage you to read difficult things like, Dig in the minds. Because this is what happens. We can have a conversation with some, somebody who watched 30 minutes on YouTube about the lost books of the Bible, and we have no, they have no idea what they're talking about. Or you can watch some sort of special on TV, because it's Easter. And you get a little bit of information, just enough to be dangerous. And, and so what I would encourage you to do is, if this is something that's important to you, it was important to me as a new Christian, there are, there is good books, there, there, there is a, a process, a historic process that came about where we can, you know what I mean, it's not just like this book just fell down from the sky, 
into the church's hands complete. There was like a, a process that happened. And if you're interested, I would say the first book that you should get is F.F. F. Bruce's Canon of Scripture. Super detailed. And then if you're really interested, um, I will help you break beyond the boundary of being a YouTube scholar <laughs> and watching 30 minutes and thinking you're an expert. And, and I, I'll help you like dig deeper so that you can, you can give an answer for the hope that you have. If you really, like you got family, friends that are struggling with this and they're like, this is the word of man. I don't know. I, I, I would love to help you with that. So let me, let's turn. We're going to have a shortened time. I need to give you some introductory stuff about this book. It's the Word of God. It's so helpful. I remember one of the teachers that I love so much, his name was R.C. Sproul. I remember I used to listen to him all the time as a new believer. And he would talk about, if I were stuck on a deserted island and was only allowed to have one book of the Bible, it would be Hebrews. And you know what it is? It's because... Hebrews is this amazing tour through the Old Testament and how Christ fulfills the law, how Christ fulfills that big part of the Bible, that first big chunk of the Bible that we have. Let's read chapter 1, verse 14, but let me, 1 to 14, but let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for its truth. Thank you, Lord, that you, your spirit, testifies with our spirit. We recognize the truth of your word, its beauty, its consistency, its power to change our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you speak. Speak to us this evening. Amen. Let me read verse 1, chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at a different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed an heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. If you would flip ahead to verse 10. And in the beginning, Lord, you have established your earth. He's quoting a bunch of psalms. He's, he's quoting a bunch of psalms, and they're amazing. They're talking about um, all, all this prophecy of how um, there would be a king, but this king would be called God. And, and it continues on, and he says, they, they will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like clothing, but you will roll them up like a cloak, and you will be changed like, and they will be changed like clothing, but you are the same and your years will never end. Now to which angel has he ever said, sit at my right hand, and he's quoting Psalms again, until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 14, are they not all 
are not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. One of the early lessons that I learned as a new Christian is that nobody coasts spiritually. You cannot coast spiritually. Now you guys, probably most of you know that I, I, I ride a Harley, mostly because I make every opportunity to remind you that I ride a Harley. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got the shirt on. If you watch my Insta handle or Facebook, you see little trips <laughs> down the country roads. And with a 1,200-pound bike, when am I most at risk for dropping that bike? Yeah, I mean, if I drop the bike going 80 miles an hour, it's, it's like cheerio, game over, it's bad, right? But, but more often, more often, the, the, the risk is that I can drop my bike when the thing isn't even on, and I got it in neutral, and I'm trying to get it out or back in between a couple cars or on some gravelly road, or I'm going really slow because there's a car in front of me, right? Because this is, the, this is what it is. The, I had before, I had a Sportster. It's, it's like a very small bike. I was like, looked like a gorilla on like a little, you know what I mean? Like on one of those clown-like bikes, right? And, and the thing is, that's like, that, I mean, it really is like a bicycle, right? You, can just, you just hit a button and it turns on. and it's, You know what I mean? And here, here's the thing. When I'm going 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, that's what my bike was made for. It's a touring bike. It's comfortable. I'm, 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 I feel secure. It's how it was built. And this bike was designed to ride. And boats, they weren't made to be out on the street, right? Boats were made to be where? In the water, in the sea. And Harleys were made for the highway. And greyhounds are dogs that were bred and born to race. And I want you to know that you as Christians were born to run. You were born to move. You were born to grow. You were born to grow spiritually. You were not born to, you were not born again to just coast on spiritually. God wants you to ride in those upper gears. And we're going to go really fast through this text. And then we're going to slow down and get into chapter 2 next week. And we're going to look back in chapter 1 so I don't feel like we're, we're, we're shortchanging chapter 1. But I want to look at three things. Like, what do we see in this text? The first is that we see that God spoke. That God spoke is an incredible mystery. Do you hear me? That God spoke at all is this mystery. I got this teacher. Um, Dylan just wrapped up with him. So we went to the same, he went to the seminary I went to. His name is David Cashin. I remember he showed this video. I don't know if he did for Dylan's class, but um, he showed this video of this guy in the jungle in Sri Lanka who is talking about how they do not ask the, the ghosts 
They do not ask the spirits. They don't ask the angels the way to God. And why don't they do that? And his answer is this, because they have forgotten the way. Now, fast forward, last year, uh, I was at the bar, it was right after Theology on Tap, and we, I was over at the River Park Pub, and I met somebody, and I asked them, you know, probably three minutes into talking to them, like, what do you think about God? You know? Because um, I love to do that, and you know what I mean? It's like, that's why we were there. And he says, you know what, I, I believe in energy, in, in like vibrations, I believe in spirits, in demons, but I don't know about God. Think about this with me. The 2019 Gloucester guy and the 1980s guy in the jungle in Sri Lanka, where ancestor worship and all that is massive, both have basically the same perspective on life. God is great and all, but what I'm dealing with immediately is, you know, the, the bad energy from other people. What I, I'm dealing with immediately is, like, like, God is great and all, but like, I need something that feels a little more tangible. I'll, I'll, I'll go to my horoscope. I'll, I'll, I'll go to this and that person who, who has this and that gift. And, and it's like I can, I can be spiritual. I, I can acknowledge spirits. But, but God, it's like another, it's another leap. <laughs> and if you go all around the world, there, it doesn't matter what culture, South America, Asia, Africa, North America, when you go to people, right, who, who haven't been introduced to some Abrahamic, you know, religion like Judaism, or Islam, or Christianity, the, the dominant way of thinking, the most common way of thinking is that people live in a world, they call it animism or spiritism. Animism means animated. It just means they live in a world they believe is alive. And they're right. <laughs> right? They just don't look at things as just dead objects that they can calculate on their calculators, but they realize that there is, there is more than they can see going on. There's, there's a power behind the beauty of nature that they are at the mercy of it. But the Christian story is that God spoke... It says, in the past, God used his servants, the prophets, and he spoke in different ways to different people. What is he talking about? He spoke in dreams. He spoke in trances. He spoke in visions. He, he, he led these people to come and to, to write the word of God. And it's like God didn't leave us alone to just be sort of mysteriously like spooked out by the ghosts and the spirits and the angels. And God is way, way above us, even though that's kind of what most of us think. Whether they were super modern or super from the days that go back thousands of years, we all sort of have this, this inclination in our heart that if there is a God that's less 
close to me. And you know what that is? That's the fall. It's like we had, uh, we had a dad and we're estranged from him, right? That's the Christian story. We were supposed to walk in fellowship with God. But what happened? We got kicked out of paradise. He only gave us one rule and we found a way to break that. <laughs> so the fact that God spoke is mysterious. The fact that, the second thing, the fact that God spoke took incredible humility. Do you hear me? The fact that God spoke took incredible humility. Next week we're going to look at this more because chapter 2 talks about how Jesus was fully human. He was like us in every way and yet he was God. And we're going to unpack that a little more. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever, and, and maybe some of you are like great parents and you're not going to relate to this story, but for the rest of us common folks, <laughs> you'll, you'll get what I'm at, getting at. You ever like talk to your kids about something they're really into, like, like Pokemon or Minecraft? And I'll like, ask, I'll be like, all right, so it's like I'll give a good go at it. We're at the dinner table. I'll be like, all right, so how do you get an axe? And they're like three steps into the discussion, and they're just like, I want to stab a pencil into my eye right now. This is like the worst experience of my life. Or like the Pokemon is way worse because there's like an endless amount of Pokemon. And then they all evolve into other forms. And I'm just like, Ugh. you know, I'm like, I'm struggling. And, whoa, making sure you're awake. What does it feel like? It feels like you're getting sucked into a black hole, right? It feels like you're getting sucked into this spot where time doesn't move normal, <laughs> where time slows down, and you're just like, you're trying to like follow along in the conversation, but you're just like, I don't care at all, <laughs> right? And, and what I'm trying to say is that imagine God who was outside of time itself, came and he was born a baby. Imagine God himself had to sit and wait in line for his hands to get washed before dinner. Imagine God asks a question to somebody and he could know the heart and know the answer, but because of his humility and he just wanted to be with us, he just, he just waited what must felt like an eternity. He, 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 he took off all that power. Now, we are in a generation where we are as near to being omniscient as possible. And it's the first time in history where you can take out a little device and you can just ask it a question about some fact and you'll get spit back something that might be true. It's, in, it's, it's, it's incredible. But, and so we can have some idea of what it would be like to just be in the dark and to willingly, as it says in the Word, that he was trained up to willingly empty himself. See, because God knew something that, that you and I forget. Knowledge can be divorced from relationship, but wisdom never can be. Let me say that again. 
Knowledge can be divorced from relationship, but wisdom never can be. So I, I, I remember I was going to my first formal, and I don't know if you could believe this, but I don't have a lot of experiences with ties and suits and don't have too much of those, that kind of clothes. Uh, but I do have like one or two now because of like weddings and funerals and all that. But um, I was 20 and I had to go to this dinner and my, my dad was dead. So I wasn't going to ask him how to tie a tie. What did I do? I went to howto.com. How to tie a tie. And, and a lot of kids are growing up like that, right? They learn about everything in life. There's knowledge about facts. And then there's wisdom, which is always in the confines of a relationship. And brothers and sisters, would our church be a spot where, where folks can grow up in wisdom, where they don't just know a bunch of things or know how to get the knowledge, but they would actually like have the humility to slow down and be with people because we slowed down and we were with them. You know, a lot of times we think about the incarnation, we think about ants and a human, and it's like, it's so much bigger than that, and yet it's completely different because you and I have no interest in communicating with ants. But the way God made us, he wants to be with us so that humility is intentional. He came and he waited in line to wash his hands. He came and he asked a question and he waited for a response. And he was stuck in that black hole where time stood still for God outside of time because he wanted to be with us because he loves us. So lastly, God spoke through his son and not angels. God spoke through his son and not angels. Angels are the servants of God and of humanity. I wrote a 60-page paper in seminary on angels. Not a lot of people wrote about angels. Now there's more stuff in the last few years, but it was hard to find good stuff about angels. And I will tell you something. If you're ever in a spot where you are on a, a, a board or a, a gathering that's looking for the next pastor of this church or some other church, a really good question to ask a candidate for to be a preacher, is what do you think about angels? Because this is what happens. It is so easy to wrap really good theological language and parrot really good theological language, but not really believe that God actually intervenes, invades, and breaks into this life. It is so easy to say the right things but then when you ask them about angels, they're kind of looking at you funny like, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's in the Bible, I haven't really thought about it. Now, what are you talking about? You're a pastor. <laughs> Something you probably should think about. <laughs> and in that study, the, the biblical worldview of angels pops out really vividly. And you see that God has appointed guarding angels, guarding spirits over people, places, things, nations, and on Thursday nights we've been studying 
We've been talking about how there's the opposite, right? There's, there's the unseen forces, the, the fallen angels. You know, it's just, this is something that I wanted to bring up because this week is Halloween, and it's something that's going to be on a lot of people's minds. And as we hunt for ghosts and watch all kinds of movies and think about the unseen world, you need to understand the power and the temptation that there is to bow down to those things. Even when no one else cares and it's like a joke and it's just good fun. So Christians stand in this countercultural position. Even when we failed, even when we failed a lot, we still we know what God wants for us and we seek to live in the direction that he's calling us to. So even though we say, like, our body is not ours, right? You can't just give it to anybody. That God has established rules and boundaries. God has established rules and boundaries for our money. Let Jesus also be Lord over how you relate to angels, how you relate to ghosts, how you relate to all of that. Not by denying them or being terrified of them or thinking that's like, uh, you know what I mean? So we're not going to even think about that because that will invite some bad juju. That's not what I'm talking about. But not by playing with them. You know? It's not an entertainment. You know, as we started to introduce this book, I said the theme of this book was be faithful. Amen? Be faithful and not fall away. And why are we talking about angels? Why are we talking about prophets? Why are we talking about God speaking through his son? Hebrews writes about these things. He writes about prophets. The author of Hebrews writes about prophets who talk about Jesus. He writes about angels who are not in any way related equal to Jesus, but angels who worship Jesus. He talks about the created beings, and then he talks about how Jesus is the one who all beings were created through. And so I want to ask you, in closing, do you worship the Son? Do you worship Jesus? I shared a video last uh, Thursday or a week and a half ago about, you know, that, that kid that was cutting grandma's cigarettes <laughs> and how frustrating that is. And when we talk about anything dealing with spirits and all this stuff, you know, here's, here, our defense mechanisms go up and we're like, all right, preacher man's going to start coming down on the music I listen to. Preacher man's going to tell me how to spend my Friday night and all this stuff. And this is all I want to leave you with tonight. Would you change your music for the king? What if you had to to be faithful? Would you give up your sense of belonging to a group of people? You know they relate to you because they're broken like you. But to be faithful to Jesus, you had to cut the ties. Would you do that? Would you give up power, comfort, and money if you had to to be faithful? This is not a hypothetical question. Can't be a coasting Christian. Christians cannot, like my oversized Harley, cannot effectively ride down the street at 10 miles an hour 
that's the worst speed. Just coasting in, with, in neutral because you're wobbling around. You're going to drop the bike. You're going to crash. It's not what you were made for. And so this is what Christians do. They dig. They go after the honey. They dig for the gold. This is what Christians do. They, they give up things in their lives that they know are not helping them grow spiritually, and they add things to their lives that they know will help them grow spiritually. And all I want to ask you tonight is, what are you giving up and what are you adding? Do you love Jesus? Will you be faithful to him or will you fall away? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that, that you have spoken. You have spoken to us. Amen. Thank you, you spoke through the prophets. Thank you, you ministered to us and, and used and you dispatched the angels, Lord. Thank you that in these last days, you came yourself through your son. You, you wouldn't leave the job into the hands of anybody else, but you came into this world and you came and you lived the perfect life and you died for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that my soldiers here They would hear the radio calling. They'd be tired of sitting in a bunker that had long been given over to the enemy. We would hear from you and we'd move to where you need us to be. And we wouldn't coast and we wouldn't fall back and we wouldn't be defeated. Oh Lord, help us Lord. Help us move to the front line you want us. That seems like the scariest place, but it's the place where the king is. It's the safest place. Doing the hardest thing is the thing that gives us life, brings us real joy. So Lord, I pray, Father, that we wouldn't half serve you. We would be all in for you. We'd be faithful to you.